Hi, this is Corey McRae, the senator for the 45th Legislative District, and you're listening to the Condoy Street Podcast, my go-to source for the latest news and insight on state and local government in Maryland. Hello and welcome to the Conduit Street Podcast. This is the session version, the first podcast that we are recording in the 2023 legislative session. This is Kevin Canale with Michael Sanderson and Brianna January, all of us from the MAKO team. Michael and Brianna, we're in the midst of session. It is Tuesday. It's after seven. So we've all come off the long day, bill hearings, etc. A lot of stuff going on around town. Michael and Brianna, how are you both doing? Michael, we'll start with you. Uh, doing fine. Not not quite ready for after dark mode, which we did a few times last session after long days, and we didn't get to record until nine, ten, eleven p.m. But uh, so I'm not quite in in full like sicko mode necessarily, but uh, starting to feel it. I think that's what we want to talk about. Uh, Annapolis is really gearing up now. It's probably about yeah. the right place to be. And, and Brianna, I know you you've been in committees all day, and you've been running around the the state house and the house and the senate buildings. How are you feeling? Yeah, I think I think Michael said it right. I'm I'm not quite at my six shots of espresso a day quite yet, but I think that we're getting there pretty soon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I think the first thing, as we sit here again on January 24th, the first thing that is apparent to most people around town is that the bills are light so far. But we know that there's a huge drop coming. We know that the House and the Senate, there are a lot of bills coming. So while we have seen relatively light bill loads so far in terms of the number of bills introduced, we know that the big load is coming, and I think we'll get into that. But I'm really glad to have Michael and Brianna with us. And, Brianna, um, as we start into the, this session, we did not see the rocket start that we saw in 21 and 22. I think we sort of anticipated that on the podcast, that things would sort of normalize, if you will, especially with the new administration coming in. We have the inauguration. And so we haven't seen this huge influx of bills right off the bat where everyone is running around town panicking because there are just way too many bills. It's kind of been maybe a normalish start, but it feels kind of slow. And maybe that's just because the, the past two years we've been really off to a, to a really fast start. Yeah, it's it's definitely been more of a drip so far this year, not a big flood like we're kind of used to. And, you know, our first clue was really back in November, December, when there was not an avalanche of pre-filed bills like we've had the last few years. So I'm still holding my breath on how many we're going to get in the long run. But uh, we're off to a slower start than normal. Yeah, no doubt. And I mean, in 21 and 22, I mean, MAKO had to schedule a pre-session meeting of our legislative committee because we had so many pre-filed bills and the bills were being scheduled right away. But doesn't seem to be that the case this year, certainly not. But again, like we know it's coming. So I, I think for us as, as policy staff, it's it's helpful to sort of get, you know, our feet on the ground and, and go around and talk to all the people we need to talk to, talk about MAKO's initiatives without having just this influx of bills. But certainly I think you're right to be holding your breath and, and, and wondering when it's going to come, right? Yeah, I mean, early and often with getting in front of folks to talk about our initiatives, for sure. Um, but, you know, like you said earlier, Kevin, it, with it being the first year in a new term and it's, you know, new legislators, a big turnover this year, plus the new administration, uh, you know, there's just less pressure around town to get things going right away. 
a lot of legislators are still remembering their office number, to be frank. Um, so still finding the bathrooms, that sort of mode. Uh, but, you know, we, we have definitely still been busy at MACO and so have a lot of folks in town. Um, while there have not been any bill hearings until really this week, which is, you know, three weeks in, um, there have been tons of committee briefings by DLS, state agencies, advocates. I mean, in fact, MAKO has actually briefed legislators in several committees now on what housing, rental assistance. Uh, we've been before some local delegations. So the legislators themselves might be easing into it. But you know what? We've we've been going for a while. <laughs> no, I, I, I said today to multiple people, like it, it feels really busy, even though there aren't this influx of bills. It still feels really busy. Like it still feels like this is session and feels like we're in the middle of it, to be honest with you. But but, Michael, just because we're not off to a really fast start, that doesn't mean that there aren't timetables. So let's talk about, you know, what legislators need to do to get bills drafted, submitted and heard. There was a deadline there and it has passed at this point. Right. So there's a few steps in this process that matter. If if you're a senator or delegate and you plan to introduce legislation, which is, you know, in theory, the centerpiece of this whole legislative process is introduce here, consider and sometimes pass bills. So so there are a few different uh, timetables for that. One of them is I mean, this is pure inside baseball stuff, but there's there's a term around town that the guarantee date meaning if you're a senator or a delegate and you're thinking about doing a bill, there's a staff of professionals who actually draft bills for you. So if you have a sheet of paper or a letter from a constituent or you have your own idea and you sort of sketch, I want a bill to do this or that, or I want to change this, or I want to double that, or I want to fund this new thing or whatever, you can go talk to the bill drafting office, get the ball rolling with a bill request. And the the guarantee date, was just just this last Friday on January 20th, effectively saying by the 10th day of session, if you get your submission into the bill drafting office, you're effectively guaranteed that you'll have a workable bill back in your hands in time to drop on time with the later deadlines, the submission deadlines that matter for both the House and the Senate. So that was a first hump. That doesn't necessarily mean that if something comes in this week or even later, it can't get heard. But if, if you had an idea back in November, December, um, it, it behooves you to have the ball rolling by now. Yeah, for sure. And, and I'll tell you, man, those bill drafters and the amendment writers, they're the real uh, heroes during session, for sure. Um, but then after your guarantee date, right, so the date by which you have your bill drafted, as you just described, Michael, then there's the filing date, which is completely separate. Um, so that deadline basically is just by the date by which you have to have your bill formally introduced um, yeah. by your by your House or, or the Senate um, in order for it to get an actual hearing, a guaranteed hearing, I should say, um, in right. its relevant committee instead of going to the Rules Committee, which we can chat about later. Um, but so this year we have uh, February 6th in the Senate and then February 9th in the House. They give their folks a couple of extra days. Um, so about two weeks from now is when all bills have to be introduced to be able to get those hearings. Yeah. And and so we expect there to be an influx, you know, the remainder of this week and the next week. I think we'll see a, a lot of bills drop. And, you know, just to, to, to build off of what you said, Brianna, the, the the bill drafters, all the people that work at DLS, like anyone listening to this, if you've been to Annapolis, 
you've noticed a crater in the ground where their office building used to be. So where right. all these people used to work, there's literally a hole in the ground. They're redoing the building. So these people are tucked away in the house, the, the house, the, the Senate, they're all over the place and they're in corners and they're, you know, you walk around the house today and I notice all these signs. It's like ethics. And then there's the library. And so all these people are tucked in corners. They're all doing the best they can. So certainly they're under a lot of pressure. But, you know, all the bills will get in. They always do. And they do a fantastic job. But you mentioned rules, Brianna. So if if bills come in after that, February 6th in the Senate, February 9th in the House, they go to rules. It's not a death knell, but it is a complicating factor to avoid because then you have to get your bills out of rules and get them assigned to one of the standing committees. And that is always quite a process to see people certainly, you know, showing up and begging rules chairs to please let my bill out. Here's why it was late. You have all this action. Yeah. So certainly you want to get your stuff <laughs> you better have before a good that point. <laughs> right, exactly. And then they will call you out on it, even on the floor. If you have a late bill, people will say, why wasn't it in? And you'll hear all the whistles and, you know, people are upset. But, but yeah, I mean, we have these formal deadlines, but certainly there is a process if bills come in late. Yeah, for sure. There is some flexibility. And I mean, of course, stuff does pop up throughout the session after that guaranteed deadline, but it's just harder. I mean, you're basically having to pass your bill through two committees before it even moves to the opposite chamber. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, we we do this sometimes where we're doing a postmortem on legislation that we were following each session. And sometimes we'll we'll sit back in April or in May and look back on, on the session that's just wrapped up and be like, hey, what happened to that one bill? It seemed like everything was going fine. And you know, you, you root through the paperwork, it's like, oh, it you know, it died in rules. It it, it got out of the house too late. It, it only went on to the Senate Rules Committee. And for There's us There's a graveyard over there. Right? Yeah, it's I mean it sometimes is, but sometimes like we interpret that to mean that's not necessarily that the bill was rejected by, you know, the political body. It's just process got in the way. Like you don't necessarily mean, oh, well, you know, a bill that died in rules wasn't necessarily fully considered. If you're thinking about reintroducing your own bill, you look back on, well, it had to go to rules and it ended up never getting out. So maybe the other chamber never really got their full bite at the apple. That, that That's a very routine takeaway from from this process. So anyway, rules committee is a, a big deal. I, I think all of this is geared, all of these timetables and deadlines are geared toward uh, for any bill to pass, it needs to make through, make it out of its original committee to the floor of the original chamber, pass the original chamber, and then have full consideration in the other chamber. So if it's a bill introduced in the house of delegates, it's got to go through the full floor of the house, but then has to get full consideration in the Senate. Sometimes a delegate will will cross file a bill with a friendly senator and they'll put in identical bills and that kind of smooths out the process. But you need a window of time late in that 90 day session to tidy all this sort of stuff up. So we're not working backwards from whatever, April 10th, whatever the last day of our legislative session is this year. But we're kind of working backwards from this magical crossover day of March 20th mm. of that's the date where you should have stuff out of the original chamber if you intend to leave the second chamber an opportunity to pass bills. So everybody in town kind of is always working back from the, the, the crossover date is an awfully important sort of circle of the calendar day in the 90-day session, and that's a big deal for all of us. So we're all working back from, from that stretch of time, but the weeks ahead are really the heart and soul of the legislative session, next five, six weeks. Yeah, no doubt about it. And we do at this point have the governor's budget. We got that last Friday. 
But as of today on Tuesday, we don't have administration bills. I think we'll start to see those uh, maybe end of this week and into next week. But, you know, I guess what we, everything we've just talked about, maybe you just throw that out of the window with administration bills. I mean, what, what's the consensus mm-hmm. here on this podcast? Yeah, I mean, I'd agree with that. Uh, technically, the Senate did have a January 24th deadline. Um, so technically, the administration's bills may go to rules. Uh, but since, you know, they're coming from the administration, it's likely no big deal to get them moving. Yeah. I highly, highly doubt that they're going to die in that graveyard over in rules. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, it's it's just a weird calendar, this setup. I mean, I, I guess I guess it, it it makes some sense that it comes together this way. But when there's a change of administration and an incoming governor being sworn in in, you know, the second or third week of January, and then literally, what is it? It's like two days between the swearing in of the governor and the deadline to introduce the next year's budget. So, I mean, <laughs> it's 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 not like you know Governor Moore and his team started working on that budget on Wednesday mm-hmm. after the swearing in. Uh, obviously, they had some time to lead up to that, but it's just it's just a peculiar timetable. So. We'll see administration bills before too long. They'll probably have a number of initiatives, maybe not a full complement necessarily after, you know, only winning an election just several weeks ago. So, but, but I think, yeah, there's no reason to think that the Senate is going to hold firm to these procedural rules. So yeah, well, they'll, they'll get a pass on that front. They'll, they'll want to work together a little honeymoon period, right? That's fine. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, because you mentioned the swearing in, I, I have to go there. Um, you know, there were so many people in town that day that I didn't even attempt it. I didn't drive in. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, it was crazy and just uh, the energy I'm sure was incredible. Um, but I, I will say that I did have some FOMO when I saw that Oprah, of all people, uh, was there. <laughs> and, you know, it might have been worth attempting to park in downtown Annapolis just for her. But next time. <laughs> I think I mean I don't know that's that's it's it's an amazing conversation the the effect Oprah Winfrey has on just people around her that that it's it's a little bit like royalty almost I mean, it's just, oh you know, our closest you know, to it I'd say yeah <laughs> yeah I, I I suspect so but I, I you know I mean our uh, one of our board members County Executive Pittman who was you know uh, on stage and and part of the the swearing in ceremony and so forth he. He had, you know, some one-to-one interactions with Oprah Winfrey. And it's like, well, that you're going to lead with that now, right? That's that's definitely your your go-to, right? <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. And I mean, <laughs> Oprah, very down to earth for what it's worth. Very down to earth, nice person. But Michael, like parking. I mean, we oh. we can talk about parking. We, you know, the garage that we use also was a crater in the ground as of just a few months ago. <laughs> now they're building it back up. But I mean, parking is a nightmare in Annapolis right now, and I feel bad. You know, for everybody trying to come down here who doesn't come every single day and think that, you know, oh, I, I probably just need to get there a little bit early. I'll find a spot. I'll be good to go. But let me tell you, it is a train wreck trying to find parking in Annapolis. And, and you know, it, it's just a nightmare. I don't, I don't know what else to say about it, Michael. It's yeah, I mean, it, it's, yeah, it's for the greater good. I mean, the plan in downtown Annapolis is is to try and build some some more secure and more more relevant parking downtown. And in the space of another year and a half or so, that, that should be the case. So we'll all benefit from that. We're just in growing pains at the moment. 
But um, that's it's going to be tough for this session, and I, I think maybe the smart bet is for next session as well. Uh, folks mm-hmm. who, who want to be in Annapolis and participate in the political process in one way or another, there used to be two or three municipal garages that were fairly easy to, to get a spot, and then you could you know you could walk over to the state house or to the house or senate building. A uh, little less of that available, and maybe a little more draw into town. I mean, setting aside last Wednesday with with the whole inauguration and thousands and thousands of people, but there are scores and scores of people who want to be in Annapolis on a random Tuesday to come in and testify on one bill or to meet with legislators or you bring a class trip to town. All that kind of stuff does go on. It's, it's part of the, you know, it's, it's part of the participatory process. So anyway, it's going to be a tough year. It'll be tough for our MAKO members. We're, we're going to try and do an in-person meeting at the MAKO offices this week. And uh, we'll be telling folks, you know, here are our tips on where you might be able to find a parking spot. But good luck. It's gonna be Carpool fun. if you can. <laughs> yeah, that's for real. Yeah. I, 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 okay. will, I will note that our, our readers might want to check our Conduit Street blog every now and then because we do post updates on the garage, on um, the garage that's right near our office um, and, and the building process. So worth right. looking there, but nothing more than, you know, a couple of cement blocks at this point. <laughs> Yeah, there's not going to be an update anytime this session saying there's parking available. It's not going to be that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and you know, we always forget about, like, the normal people who aren't in mixed up in this madness, who aren't coming to town right. to testify on a bill. Like, there are normal people that want to come to town to, you know, to have lunch or just to, to go and, and be by the waterfront and hang out. And, you know, unfortunately, mm-hmm. they've shown up at the wrong time because it's session and it's a madhouse. But, you know, we we – we will we will say stay tuned to see the governor's legislative package. It might be out by the time this podcast airs on Friday, maybe a little bit later. But certainly there are some clues in the budget that we've seen so far, including we know the governor wants to do a $15 minimum wage. He's put some money in the budget to do that. So if you can if you leaf through the budget and we do have some coverage, some preliminary coverage on the Conduit Street blog, uh, we'll link that here in the show notes. But if you mm-hmm. leaf through it, I think there are some pretty good indicators on what Governor Moore wants to do. We've heard a lot of his priorities on the campaign trail, and now that'll all come to fruition. But the budget does certainly give some good indicators in terms of what that legislative package may look like. Certainly, I think we don't know all of it, but I think, again, we do have some some pretty good clues. Yeah, and and certainly on the budget, I think it's possible that this year we will see several uh, supplemental budgets as add-ons from the new administration. So even more to come. No doubt about it. So I think we will we will certainly see some supplementals come in. Of course, you know, there's also a capital budget process, and I think there'll be a lot of action on the capital side. But let's shift a little bit in terms of what else is noteworthy here early in session. Rihanna, I'll go to you. What is your most noteworthy item as we kick off the 2023 session in your mind? Oh, good question. Uh, well, you know, just today, actually, the House adopted new rules for delegates to offer budget amendments under their expanded budgetary authority that we were talking about earlier. So that's pretty big. We'll see um, what the Senate does, but I would assume it'd be, you know, pretty much the same set of rules. Yeah, and we've certainly gotten into that. And, you know, if our listeners are, are loyal, they've heard us talk about the new process for this year. There's you know, limited ability for the legislature to add to the to the 2024 budget. There's a new process that's never existed before. Before this year, Maryland's governor was the most powerful in the nation when it came to setting the budget and setting priorities. But now there is this new process that voters approved back in 2020 
So the legislature does have new ability to to influence the budget and add to it instead of just being able to cut so they can move things around. They can add. But, Michael, I mean, in terms of this year and with this new administration, it seems like a lot of leadership in the in the House and the Senate and in the administration are lockstep on their priorities. So, I mean, in terms of, you know, what we may see for that this year, I mean, what do you think in terms of what the General Assembly will need to do to put their stand? on the operating budget, at least. Yeah. I, so I, I think we are into we're into like the part of the map that they used to call like terra incognita, where, you know, we've <laughs> we've we've explored some areas. We know what that's like. But out there, we don't really know what it's like. We haven't sailed there. Or we haven't gone but through those trails before. <laughs> right. So so here there be dragons. But I, I, I mean, there's sort of two pieces of this that matter if you're. Like if you're if you're trying to score the game at home, there's two pieces that matter. One is what's the process if you're a member of the legislature who would like to propose some more spending through this coming year's budget, which you've never been able to do before, but now they've got the ability to move money around. And we saw a clue on that in the House today um, where they sort of laid out this general process that's going to be a little bit like doing a they used, used to do a special bill for a bond initiative. Now they're just, those are just sort of set aside as bond initiatives. But if you're trying to get a capital project, a new roof on a museum in your district, there's a process to introduce that as a capital bond initiative. It sounds like a pretty similar process. If you're a delegate and you're saying, I'd like to spend another million dollars on this thing, there's a process to go through. And it requires where does the million come from? What would you propose to cut? From the same, uh, you know, from the same funds, like general, general funds, where do you find the million dollars? And mm-hmm. then into what area do you want to add the million dollars? So, uh, we haven't seen the wording of that, but the description on the, the house was pretty illustrative. So there's going to be a process. And I, I think the parallel with the cap budget is a pretty fair one to assume for now. So. Part of the process is what do you do as an individual member? And then I guess, Kevin, you were alluding to eventually there's going to need, need to be a process to decide what do we approve, right? You know, what, what, what comes out of the budget committees? They're used to just cutting back and sometimes restrict funds that are in the governor's budget. This year they have the opportunity to do those things and then potentially replace some of the, of the space that they've cut backs. Um, so, you know, all question marks on how that stuff gets untangled, but there is going to be a process for individual members of the legislature to make proposals. And then all of us stakeholders will will sort of gather around and figure out what the process lo- looks like for approving a final budget plan that may include some new spending. So here there be yeah. dragons. <laughs> that That's right. And it's it's really interesting that legislators will have to find a budget cut to offer um, if they're offering an amendment to spend new money. And I, I think that that's probably going to be the most challenging aspect of this new process for them individually and as a body. Um, it's always hard to cut for sure, especially if it's um, things that, you know, important programs and initiatives that Marylanders are used to. Yeah, who knows? I mean, maybe maybe we'll look back on this come April or May and we'll laugh at how naive we were. Oh, it's going to be tough to find the cut to go along. Yeah, no, they do it in an hour. (laughs) Right. Maybe maybe that won't be difficult at all. Or maybe everybody will have the same $10 million cut 
and, and 40 different ideas for how to spend the $10 million. Like all that's possible. But I think the process, at least it fits with the new authority that, that voters approved in a constitutional amendment that you can replace money, you can basically move money. If, if the legislature makes cuts to the governor's proposed budget, then you can replace that spending amount. So the idea that um, you don't toss in a spending idea, it has to be accompanied with a cut, sort of mirrors the language that's now in the Maryland Constitution. So I think there's some some sense to that structure. Yeah, Money I mean, does just, not grow on trees after all. <laughs> that's right. And, and you look, the, the state is in an extraordinary position right now in terms of, you know, we have a lot of one-time money. You can only spend it once. We don't know what the economy really is. There's there's federal money that is here, you know, for a few years for, you know, a lot of, uh, of, of capital projects and transportation and infrastructure. So everybody can look at the bottom line and think that the state is flush with cash. I think the administration has done a good job sort of tamping that down and making sure that people understand, look, you know, this is not forever. You know, we're we in an extraordinary circumstance right now, but, you know, this surplus doesn't last forever. We need to be very strategic. And I think what the General Assembly is doing is sort of jumping on board with that and saying, look, if you want to do this, if you want to add, you need to find a place to cut. And I think they're sort of setting the tone in terms of, you know, this is not a, a free for all. We don't have all this cash. It's not forever. So especially if you want to do something that is a long term spending priority that is going to cost money every single year, you're certainly going to need to find something to cut to, to yeah. make up for that. So I think both the administration and the General Assembly are trying to to send a message here that, you know, you can look at the bottom line again and think that the state is doing really, really well and this is going to last forever and it's it's a free for all. But I, I think that both the administration and the General Assembly are trying to send that message that, hey, we're not going to be irresponsible. We're going to be strategic. And if you do want to add things to the budget, we've never done this before. We've never had this authority. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to be responsible about it. So I think that's a good thing generally um, in, in terms of in terms of the way I look at it. Uh, because, I, you know, nobody knows how this is going to work, but certainly they had to come up with some sort of solution and, and formula here for how this will work. So just right. just another change and, and something, you know, that one of the biggest changes that we've ever seen, of course, more changes even to that. Right. Right. And I, I mean, I guess I might add, we might not know the full extent to how this process is really going to work, even at the end of this year's session. That it might be that this year's budget is relatively smooth and relatively straightforward. And it might not be that the full contours of this new legislative budgeting authority don't come fully into focus until we're faced with like a really tight, really tough budget. We've had some of those in the not too distant past. And that, that mm-hmm. tends to sort of, you know, it's like low tide. It makes, it makes the navigation a little bit trickier. Um, we might not really understand how this process is totally going to work in Maryland until whatever, two, three, eight years down the road when we have a Fair really point. tough budget year and this thing gets yeah. really, really choppy. It's a good bet. It's a really good bet. And so, so look, extraordinary change here in terms of the budget, but again, that the House and I'm sure the Senate will outline a similar process of, again, I think everyone's trying to do the right thing here, trying to be responsible, trying to set the tone. But anything else, uh, Brianna or Michael, big takeaways from at least the beginning of session here as everybody gets their feet wet. A lot of new legislators, as you mentioned, MAKO is is working through making sure that we have time with every single one of those new legislators to introduce ourselves and our priorities. So that is a whole project in itself. And shout out to member services, that side of the shop for us and Sophia. For, for working really hard to get all those meetings set. But 
that is a lot. And there are a lot of new legislators, a lot of new faces on these committees. But what are the other big takeaways from both of you in terms of just what we've seen so far in the 2023 session and, and sort of how they're setting the tone and, and what things are going to look like as we work towards signing die in April? We, you know, we just spent a good 20 minutes or so talking about how we've kind of just seen a trickle of, of bills so far. But we've actually heard the Senate president say that bill requests for this year were actually up, um, as they have been over recent years, even into record setting numbers. So, like I said earlier, I'm, I'm holding my breath. We're going to have some late nights ahead of us, I predict. Yeah, buckle up for sure. We're going to, Michael alluded to, this is not quite the condo street after dark, but I'm pretty confident that at some point or multiple points during this session, we're going to have the after dark <laughs> because if the Senate president and what he said holds true, I mean, there are a lot of bills, more than we've ever seen. It's it's actually record-breaking. And, you know, in in the first year of a new term, you know, I, I didn't necessarily expect that. But, um, yeah, I guess we're going to see it. So Condo Street After Dark, definitely going to happen. I, I'd bet money on it. Buckle up, everybody. It's it's going to be uh, a long and, 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 you know, a lot of bills to read for the MAKO staff, and that does go well into the evening. So I think you're going to get Michael Sanderson on Conduit Street after dark. We're going to get him unedited, unfiltered. We're going to have to put the the special, uh, you know, not safe for work tag on the podcast, and Michael's just going to go bananas. So everybody listen to that, and hopefully we can, like, get some people to subscribe just because of what I just said, because everybody wants to hear that. That's right. Don't don't get behind the wheel, but maybe get behind the microphone. That's okay. Yeah, we'll take it. So, Michael, I'm, I'm assuming you're just going to – you know, I know you always have vacations scheduled during session and, you you know, you're you're probably <laughs> going to go to Guam. I mean, I know that's on your bucket list. You and I talked about that briefly. But listen, we're going to have a lot of bills, so we're probably going to need you to stick around town. All right. Well, I'm, I'll start canceling plans. If we're going to have 3,000 bills this year, and I think I think that's where I'd set oh. the over under, maybe 3,000 bills for this session. And that is bananas. Right. So wild. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll stick around. We'll, we'll We'll do it together. It'll be all right. If you're canceling your vacation plans, I'm going to slowly start increasing my daily intake of espresso because I'm going to yes. need it at 3,000 bills. <laughs> you should bump that up, Rihanna. You should start bumping it up now Immediately. and use your way in. Yeah. Yes, yes. And, and you know, if Michael has to count, you cancel his Valentine's vacation to Guam, you know, so be it. We'll, we'll, you're going to have to bite the bullet, Michael. Uh, I, again, Michael's never on vacation during session, but he was, I think, planning to go to Guam for Valentine's. Maybe not, Michael. That's the rumor around town. Maybe you can confirm or deny, but you're going to have to go ahead and that. I heard it, too. I heard it, too. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm, I'm, staying, I'm staying put now. So it's all good. All it's right. all good. I love you all dearly. We'll we'll spend a Valentine's Day in, uh, you know, in the finance committee until the wee hours. It's oh, fine. So Literally. So <laughs> JPR, actually. That's yeah. what my oh, JPR after dark. What I always dreamed about. So romantic. To be sitting in a committee, it's 90 degrees always in those committee rooms for whatever reason. It's always hot over there. So I wish they turned on, you know, they got to do something about that. But um, but anyway, we're going to probably go ahead and close out pretty soon. Any final thoughts from you, Michael or Brianna, before we close this out? We will be here again throughout the session bringing you the latest and greatest, uh, you know, in terms of what the legislature is up to and in terms of county government issues and what we're testifying on and what we're advocating for. But any closing thoughts here on January 24th as we just kick this thing off and get into high year in this session? Yeah, it's, it's a pleasure to do so on behalf of counties and local governments. And uh, I think Buckle Up really, really uh, says it all. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's about it. I mean, I, I want to be, you know, I mean, we, we, we still have multiple things to, to, to worry about on the public health front and people need to be smart and safe. But having this process become incrementally more back to normal, face to face, be in the room to deliver testimony and so forth. Uh, when we can make that happen safely and wisely, I, I think it's it, it results in a better product. And uh, I'm, I'm happy to see things moving in that direction. And hopefully everybody will continue to be smart about it. Yep. And, you know, I can tell you people are being smart. I've been now I've testified in the Senate in the House in person. It's a little bit weird getting back into it. But, uh, you know, that the committees are are working through some technology challenges. We've talked before about this new process for testimony where you have people in the room, but they also have the virtual testimony available. I know multiple committees on day one of testimony uh, dealt with failures in that technology, and that was sort of a mess. But I think they're getting it ironed out. Things are going to work well. Everybody has a good attitude, and I and I do think people are being smart. They're being safe, and nobody wants to see you know this this session shut down or you know at all affected by some public health issue. So people need to be smart, certainly. And you know we're talking a lot about getting back into the normalcy of things. But of course, I think that's still top of mind for most people here in town is to be safe and, and to make sure that people are taking care of themselves. So I think that's my big takeaway so far. I've been happy to see that that everybody's on board in terms of, you know, respecting people's personal space and respecting masks as people want to wear them. And, you know, everybody's all over the place. But in terms of feeling safe, I certainly have felt safe and comfortable so far. So shout out to legislative leadership and the General Assembly for figuring this out and making it work. And hopefully we, we see this continue throughout the session. All right. So we will leave it there for today. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, please go ahead and subscribe. That way, all of these episodes will be sent directly to the device of your choice, including the After Dark content, which is yet to come. As always, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and of course, the Conduit Street blog. But for Brianna January and Michael Sanderson, this is Kevin Canale signing off, and we will talk to you soon. 